0: Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, US editor of Waters, and as always, joined by James Rundle, news editor of Waters. Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, and uh, soon to be Happy New Year. Uh, so, you no, know, this week is just truly a dead week. In yeah,
1: yeah, in every sense. Even the other Financial Times is writing stories about the LAI for God's sake. So yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like it's one of those that you
0: want to keep an eye out for. You know, companies are trying to put some bad news out, right? So Friday, actually, is going to be a big news dump kind of a day for bad news.
1: Usually happens around this time. Remember, it was around this time that ICE announced it was acquiring NYSE, I think back in 2012 or something, and Uh, uh, Esmond released MiFID 2 a couple of days before Christmas in 2014.
0: And I know that uh, Japan Exchange, um, they usually have a big one that comes out right on New Year's Day. Yeah. Um, so keep an eye out for those things, but this week we got, I mean, unless you really want us to talk about blockchain again, I think we're just going to move on from that. Yep. Um, but before we get into so today we're going to talk about our favorite, uh, long form stories, non-waters related, obviously, um, from 2017, in case you're looking for some good reading material, we'll link to all these stories, but, um, we're, you know, we're just big about journalism and writing and yeah, you know, stuff like that. It's a
1: the golden age at the moment, I think, for long form. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You
0: know. And the sites, the aggregating sites that you can go to, like longform.org or longreads.com, stuff mm-hmm. like that, to easily find these kind of things. So, we're going to talk about our favorites from 2017. Um, just have a nice little relaxing day. Um, just a quick reminder, though um, March 9th in London, we have the Women in Technology and Data Awards uh right now is your chance to nominate uh employees from your organization for a multitude of categories somewhere between 18 and 20 some odd categories i think it is um we will link to the site where you can go see the categories and excuse me nominate uh your employees but that date is set to close june 19th or january 19th but Usually there is a one-week window, especially considering that we've had this uh, Christmas break, holiday break uh, going Great on. timing.
1: Great timing. So <laughs> yeah. like <gonna> it <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. happens with First Quarter Works. We always said, like, why don't we have, a like, an event in January? It's like,
1: well, because, you
0: know, it's just hard to pull it's one together. Yeah, yeah, it's hard
1: enough for what it's USA with Thanksgiving,
0: you know, let alone Christmas and New Year. Exactly. It's, it's really tough. So that's what's happening. Women in Technology and Data. Entries closed January 19th or a week after that. I am yeah. not a center All right. So, we're gonna talk a little bit about some good long form journalism. Obviously, if you're a subscriber to Waters, you know that it costs a lot of money to subscribe to Waters. It does, yeah. um, We cover a niche space. Um, we hope that you enjoy our coverage, find value and worth in our coverage. Um, but just beyond Waters and everything like that, I it's it's very important to support you know, good deep dive writing because yeah. right now the news section has just become let's just chase whatever, you know what's popping up on Twitter. Let's now chase that as hard as we can. Our facts are just going to come scatter shot from here and there. I think. My favorite kind of journalism is long-form, well-thought-out, analytical, deep-dive pieces. doesn't always have to be serious. It doesn't always have to be, you know, solving the world's problems.
1: No, it doesn't. Like, there's kind of ones you used to sit down with a Sunday newspaper and read in the magazine and, like, G2 or whatever the MIT's sort of supplement is and just sit there for, like, an hour reading a story and going, wow, what am going through? It. It's you, know,
0: of, you know, having some sort of intellectual curiosity, learning about new things, new people, um, this is what living is for. This is what yeah. life is... We forget about that, I think, a lot. And uh, so we want to highlight some of the biggest stories. And I guess you know we're going to have to, to start off with 2017. If there's no other way to describe it. It is about harassment in the workplace amongst is. women, just in ge- by men to uh, uh, women. I mean, uh, that, that's
1: definitely the lead, for sure, I think. Um, but the, the, I think a lot of the stories follow a specific couple of themes, actually. So you've got the harassment thing, you've also got a lot of talking about the socioeconomic ramifications of what the last few years have been about so talking about poverty and talking about um, psychology and the effect that's had on society as well but it's definitely like a couple of big things but you're right yeah Um, harassment and the social implications of that I think are during the
0: war the crazy thing is so the the first big piece was by the New York Times and then that was followed up by the New Yorker and uh, Ronan Farrow that's right um, to to start things off um, about Harvey Weinstein Mm -hmm. and that really set the stage and the impact it had, that it did not get brushed. You know, a lot of these stories, especially when it comes to harassment in the workplace, they quickly fall off the radar.
1: I mean, they do. And and look, from my perspective, I used to be a film reporter back in the day, my very first early years of my career, and I was by no means on the level of these guys involved in this kind of industry journalism, but it was known back then that there was a problem going on, but you just never saw anything came up about it. And uh, when I was reading that Harvey Weinstein stuff in the MIT, I was just literally reading through it going "Oh my." God, all well, the the, way
0: depth, so the people that came out on the record, because yeah. that's always such a big piece, is to get those people, because you want to have a couple that you can say, listen, we have these people right on the record. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, and then there's going to be some people that just can't talk about it on the record for fear of repercussions. Oh,
1: well, because they're, they're psychologically damaged by it as well. You know, it's you know, sexual assault. It's rape yeah. all of the time. It's, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 some people could never talk about it. But the it's...
0: deep dive that they did was truly incredible, followed up by the New Yorker, Ronan Farrow. And then, you know, for me it was the constant, we're not stopping with these stories. Mm -hmm. And two of the stories that I kind of point to as, so you have the initial, here's what Harvey Weinstein did, here's what we know. Um, Two stories that came out uh, right after that kind of broke was, um, in the New York Times, it was by, uh, I think about six, seven writers, um, Weinstein's complicity machine, and Roman Farrow, the New Yorker, had uh, Harvey Weinstein's army of spies. And that w- those were important, too, because it's so easy to say, well, this is one evil man. Yeah. This is one evil man who was enabled by a sea of other people well, it's, uh, it's, helping him out.
1: It's like that line from Spotlight, isn't it, where it, it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes one to abuse exactly one as well. Like so, so it's, yes. um, you know, I'm obviously not talking about abusing children here, thank God, but, uh, well, I mean, maybe we are in some yeah. cases, but, yeah, the amount of complicity that has to go on in order for this to happen, the amount of kind of fear and, yeah, we talk about this a lot about... Um, everyone is afraid a lot of the time these days. We, we see it in the subway all the time. If Someone's playing a boombox or something and or smoking a cigarette or being like obnoxious or something. Everyone just kind of ignores it and goes on with their life. And I think on a macro scale, it's what happened here. Like Everyone exists, and the way abusers get away with this is they isolate their victims and make them think that no one cares about it. And then they also do that to people who they sort of secondary abuse through making them complicit in this as well. Sure. thinking, you know... I'll threaten you individually. You'll never work in this town again, and then they can make good on those threats. You know, sure. like it's a cliche, but I mean, unrelated to to sexual abuse. Um, I mean, my some of my family used to work in in film and had problems with substance abuse and that kind of thing. And a couple of incidents where the director said, literally, you will never work in this town again. It's true, and they yeah. did. You know, the sort of thing. So, people like Weinstein have the power to do that, and the way they exercise that, sometimes you know, reactionary, and but sometimes very cold and calculated, was just horrifying, as much as the not as much as the abuse, but are on an equal level to the abuse, I think, the way they kind of twisted and turned around it. But yeah, those mean, pieces really brought it out, I
0: thought. And it, and then just then from there, I mean, it just became an avalanche of stories, not just related to Weinstein, just across the spectrum of everything. It, it, spectrum of men, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was a um, there was a front page of the New York Daily News, I think, in December. Where it was just a picture of... Someone from a talk show, and then the headline was "Today's pervert. Or something yeah, like I mean, that it really just, was. Yeah, so yeah. It was
0: just targeting. And,
1: but I think it's great. I mean, I'm glad that people doubled down on this, and they thought, you know, we're not going to let this go. Now we've, the door's open. Now let's kick it in, and let's just do it. Um, you and I have talked about how it's gone a bit too far sometimes, and that's more related to the hashtag well, Me Too thing, I think, than this. But like, and you
0: know, the media now really needs to be careful, yes, because you don't want to say okay. We got to get our story up there now. Because that, again, this is where media always screws up. Mm -hmm. We got to have our story now. I mean, New York Times and, you know, New Yorker and everybody's kicking our butt. You know, like, the responsible thing. Like, look at um, the piece that New York Times just came out on Vice. It's dozens and dozens of interviews. It's, you know, it's not just... One person saying something, and then we're going to just run with that. You know, that we, the media still has to play a very responsible role. That's yes. your job is to be... Otherwise,
1: you get it very quickly into witch-hunt territory. And you have seen that to a certain extent. Some people losing their jobs. Not the big celebrities, but you see it at a micro level. A lot of organizations, you know, conduct that wouldn't necessarily be construed as sexual assault in any mm-hmm. way is now being construed as sexual assault sure. because people are so afraid of it. And, and harassment stuff know, like that, yeah. Exactly, you know. You it's going to be
0: interesting because 2018 is... I don't think that, and this is across everything, every industry, every kind of company. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussion about this, but that's what you. That's what great journals. I mean, that's truly what. That's why I'm not sure who's going to win a Pulitzer off this, but there's got to be some coming down the line here for yeah. the work that has been done in this area. Um, you know. So again, you know, again for me, the two biggest pieces out of that one be beyond. The biggest piece, obviously, the Weinstein door, but it's a cover-up. It's it's the people enabled it too. That that shows that next level. That we're not yeah. just going to stop here. We're we're going to come after the whole system. Yeah. As again, the Spotlight yeah, was the, a great the, point. You got to bring PAs down the whole system, not did. just one individual.
1: Well, I mean, that was the lesson learned again. Going back to Spotlight from the Catholic Church scandal, wasn't it? You know, yeah. not just the priests who. Um, uh who were pedophiles but also the the priests who kept quiet about it and
0: moved them around and enabled it to parents happen parents themselves community leaders even like always the, the very very top you know and, and apologies yeah.
1: for any any of you uh, listeners who are catholic and apologies to my my dead grandmother but you know, even the pope and things of that was you know yeah. up to that level where and the lawyers church, the so, so, yeah. cottage yeah. industry
0: of lawyers that was created to uh, mm. kind of help this so exactly yeah um let's see here i'll We'll move on. to. you want to go next or you want
1: to? Yeah, I think a couple of pieces I can lump together really, just some a bit of a theme about. I think we'll go back um, and forth, James. We can go back, back, back and forth. We'll, we'll do, you that. do one, I'll do one. All right, okay, fair enough. Um, so, um, so yeah, well, I will still lump these together. There's a couple of interesting pieces just about kind of Britain um, and the UK. Of course. Of course. And where it is now, and kind of a few things that are going on. So there was a great piece by Sam Knight in The Guardian called London Bridges Down, uh, which was published in March. And that was started off as a look at what happens in the immediate aftermath of Queen Elizabeth dying. So, mm. you know, what gets triggered? How does the news apparatus roll out? What does the palace do? And, everything like that. and it's very, very procedural for the first half. But then it gets into some really key questions about England and the United Kingdom and the Union, about kind of where we are now and what she'll mm. be remembered for. So Queen Victoria, when she died, was remembered for making everything big, making everything mechanised for changing society, uh, Queen Elizabeth will probably be remembered for you know the decline of the British Empire and, and our kind of status in the world. And that then ties into the next piece, which is by Andy Beckett, also in The Guardian in February, called um, PPE, the Oxford degree that runs Britain. The PPE is uh, Politics, yeah. Philosophy and Economics. Um, and I'll just read the first paragraph because it's really illustrative of how narrow the ruling class in England is. It's, so it starts off saying... Monday 13th of April 2015 was a typical day in modern British politics. An Oxford University graduate in PPE, Ed Miliband, launched the Labour Party's General Election Manifesto. It was examined by the BBC's political editor, Oxford PPE graduate Nick Robinson, by the BBC's economics editor, Oxford PPE graduate Robert Peston, and by the director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, Oxford PPE graduate Paul Johnson. It was criticised by the Prime Minister, Oxford PPE graduate David Cameron, it was defended by the Labour shadow chancellor, Oxford PPE graduate Ed Balls, so it just shows how kind of narrow the ruling class is. And there was a, it was illustrative of I think of uh, a photograph I saw a while back, and it was of the and Club in Oxford. It had David Cameron, um, it had Jeremy Hunt, it had um, Christ, what's his face, um, the ex mayor of London, now the foreign secretary. Very famous guy, I can't remember Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. uh, Takes an American to know that. That's (laughs) it, well he was in fact born in New York. Um, But yeah, just had all these guys in the same class who are now in command of like the Department of Media and Culture and the Prime Minister and the Mayor of London, all the rest of it. Um, And it just shows, I think, these two pieces in particular, how this is a big question in the UK, like where do we fit in now in the world? We don't have an empire anymore, we're leaving the European Union... Uh, our country is in decline we have no primary industry more we don't produce anything apart from a service industry and this is big existential like, question sandwiches yeah which will lead on to one of yours <laughs> um and then for the final english piece which also ties into this as uh, left behind by sarah o'connor in the financial times that looked at how using blackpool as a proxy um how extreme poverty in some british cities is leading to mental health issues substance abuse problems on a Enormous scale, um, and there's little to no appetite to fix it if it's outside London. So, I thought those three pieces together were a really interesting long form portrait of modern day UK.
0: I mean, I think you know, one thing because I haven't read, so I read the PPE one, yeah, uh, which I did find funny. I, th- I think that you can find it's not quite as extreme, but you can see some of that in the Harvard, Yale kind yeah. of there's a whole uh, Oxford University thing, um, yeah. but usually it's not even that everybody you get the degree from Harvard, but not necessarily everybody taking the same exact classes and yeah. with the same exact professors. and you're In all... the same year. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, d- does the one about the Queen, does that examine whether the monarchy itself survives past the Queen? Or... It, it asks
1: those questions, yeah, and I think the answer is yes, it does. Um, what its future kind of holds for it is very much in question there. Yeah, the, and,
0: the, yeah. and then uh, you know the one about, uh, so you just sent me the one about Blackpool, you know, that's another one I think that you can find. There's a reason why Donald Trump mm. came to power. Right? Oh, yeah. It's the forgotten communities. Well, I thought this is and... interesting
1: because it's analogous to what's happening in the States as well. Yeah. Especially in a lot of um, white-majority cities uh, in the Deep South and that kind of thing. Yeah. Which are, well, Midwest Midwest. Yeah. Belt yeah, kind of country. Rust exactly. States. There's very, very impoverished cities that have lost yeah. their heavy primary industry and yeah. they've lost their raison d'etre. And they're kind of almost, as the title, the headlines just left behind.
0: There's a Normal depressing species. story in, I've just read, and... There's this factory outside uh, Philadelphia, um, uh, uh, coal mining factory, and it looks like they're going to be laying off about ninety percent of our staff. And yep. they were told, you know, when Trump came power, your jobs would be saved. And a lot of people looked at this with shouting for it, and they were like, you know, happy about. I ah, see. You voted for Trump and now you're still losing your job, you idiot. It's like, no, man, this is a sad story, yeah, man. The lives have been destroyed. Exactly. And, this isn't a political thing. You know, no. Let that go. This is just a sad thing that we aren't saving these jobs. We aren't figuring out a way to help these people. But you're not just condemning them. This is the thing. Interest.
1: Like in these towns where nothing replaces it, you're not just condemning them to a uh, life unemployment, you're condemning their children and their children's children who grow up on welfare now. Yeah. And sort of, you know, and that kind of thing. It's it's a problem in all of our cities that we if it's not. Uh, you know, New York or Washington or Seattle or Los Angeles or um, Manchester or London or anything like that. The non really cares about it. You know? yeah, exactly. no, no one wants to care about it because exactly. it's just this view of it being this vast well, hit country. Whatever, let them, yeah. them for they, themselves. You know, they,
0: they don't have the the wherewithal to get out of there and go yeah. to the big city and move and uproot their lives and exactly. it's like, that's not fair. It's not a fair to I mean, <laughs> and, and like, you know, we've had conversations where we've said exactly those words yeah, yeah. before about like being, <laughs> and people
1: complain they can't get a job at a newspaper yeah. in the city but, you know, it's true and you can't always pick up and move, um, you know, especially if you're not, if you're 47 years old having worked the coal money into our life, you don't know anything else, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, come on, work in McDonald's in New York, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. So, but I thought, yeah. Um, all the chatter over the last few years um, about how society has changed, about austerity after the financial crash and everything like that, these articles are really showing the impact it's had now, and we're actually starting to see the long-term effects of these short-term decisions that have been made on cities, and it's uh, it's not good. But, yeah.
0: My favorite story written about Britain this year, mm-hmm. and you read it too, Sam Knight in The Guardian. Sam Knight's an outstanding right? writer. I will always read Sam Knight. Yeah, he's yeah. writing, and he just got some, he, he always finds good subject, interesting subjects. The title is "How the Sandwich Consumed <laughs> Britain." There was, and this could be true in America too. I don't know, but it was just like a stat that I thought was funny. But so the article is about the British love affair of this the wrap sandwich that you just quickly buy as Ooh. you're running to work. And I never realized that this was. A th- I've been to London plenty of times, but I never, it never sent oh, yeah. it to me. I that, mean, that, was that was lunch every day for years and years and years
1: and then just a, a meal deal where you get a package sandwich, uh, a bottle of drink, whether it's fizzy pop or whether it's water, or whatever, and uh, a pack of crisps. It's
0: <laughs> absolutely nuts how big this industry is mm. and how much of, you know, the economy it makes for Britain. Yeah. Um, but one point they said, by the end of the 20th century, more people in Britain were making and selling sandwiches than working in agriculture. <laughs> that might be true in the U.S. today. Could be, I could, I don't honestly know. But certainly by the end of the 20th century, that's incredible, by the late 90s, that, you know, that, oh, yeah. it, that blew my mind. Um,
1: oh, sorry, I mean the British will put anything between two slices of bread and eat it and the, Like
0: the different kind of sandwich I'd I want to throw up in my mouth a little bit at times <laughs> so it's not all doom and gloom in Britain you have the, the sandwich industry we do um, yes we do yes and um, <laughs> and mm, uh, moving on <laughs> so to your uh, my favourite story of the year I did, there were I had three that really ranked up there for me my favourite lead of the year was certainly this one I'm this am one you sent me the other day yeah. it was great So it's called uh, Deliverance from 27,000 Feet. It was by John Branch in the New York Times. And it's about these um, West Bengali um, Everest climbers and their Sherpas that went up with them. Um, Most of them, three of the West Bengali uh, climbers uh, did not make it. They died up there. The Sherpas and one of the other uh, Bengalis made it back. But here's the lead. And if you don't want to read this after this lead, then I don't know what to tell you. Okay? Five Sherpas surrounded the frozen corpse. They swung axes at the body's edges, trying to pry it from its icy tomb. They knocked chunks of snow from the body, and the shattered pieces skittered down the mountain. When they finally freed a leg and lifted it, the entire stiff and contorted body shifted down to its fingertips. The sun was shining, but the air was dangerously cold and thin at 27,300 feet above sea level. A plume of snow clouded the ridge toward the summit of Mount Everest so close above. When the Sherpas arrived, masks on their faces, oxygen tanks on their back. The only movement on the steep face came from the dead man's frayed jo- jacket pockets. They were inside out and flapping uh, and flapping in the windy wind, in the whipping wind. Absolutely. Just like amazing. I was yeah. like, I'm in. Let's do it. this. <laughs> it's, it's a long story. Let's do it. It's a fascinating story about, so, uh, how the Indian government went to go and retrieve Uh, these three bodies and one they were able to retrieve fairly quickly one they had to wait a whole year till the conditions improved again and how it's almost more dangerous to try and bring back a body than it is to actually try and make the trip to um, Everest because so much has to be planned out so much has to be perfected Um, it's one of those stories you want to read online because the layout of it is one of those beautiful New York Times um, interactive guides and stuff like that so um, that one was, I thought, the best of, uh, and then kind of story about Everest. So it was like, I mean, yeah. captures in. the imagination, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. Arctic exploration, you know, and that, you know, that works for me. That's it. What do you go? Uh, a
1: small, strange little story from a small little thing called the Texas Observer, um, which is based along the kind of, I think, the border um, with Mexico. It's quite actually a left-leaning paper. But this is by Gus Bover, Melissa Dabosk, Jen Real and Emma Perez Trevino. Um, Gus Bova actually being an intern who wrote this just amazing piece about um, mm-hmm. the life of immigrants coming over illegally and kind of what they have to go through, whether well, not necessarily legally, but maybe claiming asylum as well and that kind of thing, um, where they're talking to specific people about what happens, talking to people who run the centres that care for them, um, taking in a lot of the, the hidden people, really, who do so much of the work to bring people into the country and make sure that they're not just completely forgotten about and left for dead, mm-hmm. so that people at the churches and that kind of thing as well. And it was like a three or four part series, a um, bit meandering at points, but overall it was a really powerful kind of just image of what people go through to come to the country. And you're thinking, you know, if you're going through that, then it must be terrible, like, you know, where yeah. you're coming from, Jesus. But it gives you a, a real um, alternative view, I guess, from uh, the usual kind of mainstream headlines around illegal immigrants, and documented immigrants, how people come here to take jobs and that kind of thing. So actually, you know, these are human beings at the end of the day. They often get treated like animals, um, herded into detention centers for months and months and months, ripped off by unscrupulous lawyers who take the little money they have and then never answer them again and that kind of thing. It's it's just incredible.
0: And I think a problem is, you know, even if you think, okay, these people should not be coming into this country. Right. We need yeah. to figure out what's happening and I would be one of those people. Sure. You have to be able to understand what they are going through. You yeah. can't solve this problem of illegal immigration if you just stick your head in the sand and say, "No immigrants in my country. Yeah.
1: Build a wall, close the border, yeah, exactly. fine." That's them, but like
0: you know, that's, that's not, not going to stop it. That's what, and you have to understand what these people are going through, the reasons why they're coming yeah. here, in order to figure out that there's something more systemic than just throwing up a fence and don't think that they're not going to be able to get around the fence. Right. You know. Um, and that's the nice the thing about
1: this as well is they actually followed a couple of ICE agents around on a daily kind of thing and showed it from their perspective and sure. what they have to do and how it affects them on a daily basis having to do this to people and throw them out and rip them away from their families. And I thought that was just, a, you know, it's just a, the key thing for this is that we're all people at the end of the day. We're not immigrants. We're not um, citizens. We're not Fuck everything else. Exactly. <laughs> 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 I'm an American with a small A. apparently yeah. according to you. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're human beings, and the way people have spoken about in the media and the way that they use as political, like, hammers, just it masks the fact that you can't treat people like animals. You, know? you yeah. have to make sure that if we just treat each other with a bit more decency and a bit more respect, you might find that world would be a better place. Yeah. You, know? you,
0: you can say that we don't want this kind of immigration. We have to figure out a way to stop it. We have to figure out no the systemic problems, yeah. the problems that these people are facing. In order to be able to solve these problems. Otherwise, exactly. yeah. building a fence ain't going to do nothing for you. They're going to figure out a way around the fence to get away out of this.
1: But there is no fence or no wall that's yeah. impregnable. Yeah. yeah, people yeah. in
0: Cuba and, you know, these. Uh, how You can't even call it a boat, you can't call it a raft. It's basically right. plywood on a rock. you got people
1: trying to swim between, you know, sort of the north tip of Africa and Italy, for God's yeah. sake. It's, you know, ridiculous. Um, so yeah, just to figure maybe more humane ways to treat each other, even if uh, policy aside, you know, that can be dealt with separately. how you deal with people on the ground face-to-face and how you treat them is important. I'm going to go with two
0: here, just again, lighten up. See, I'm going to keep on, you keep on just taking this down, you know. know I've got a really dark one next. (laughs) (laughs) Best profile of the year, that way. I don't think that there is a better profiler uh, than uh, Katie Weaver of GQ. Mm -hmm. Her stories are fun. You read them, and she doesn't take it too seriously, and she writes, or the writing isn't, she doesn't come at it, she comes at it and just an airy way and but like, through it you get to know the individual better so yeah. she wrote something Dwayne Johnson for President oh uh, I remember this yeah. Dwayne Johnson's The Rock uh, from the <laughs> WWE if you don't know him action movie star everything like that truly an interesting guy um and I'd love
1: to grab a beer with that I think it's sort of oh really, it's... yeah
0: you know and it's not so crazy that he could one day run for office here you know we right, keep yeah. on Schwarzenegger became governor of California he keeps saying it
1: so this yeah, way, it's, yeah.
0: it's this could actually be somebody that you actually want to understand a little bit more than just oh, they oh they he's love? a meathead in uh, movie as uh, if he ran on a republican ticket though, that'd be really funny oh, yeah. I'm just saw, like
1: well, wow okay yeah, yeah. yeah you
0: know, there's yeah. people I think that he might actually be no one really knows what his politics are yeah. um, so um, it I, it's just an airy fun read I highly recommend it it's it doesn't take too long, you know. It's just it was a really good profile, and it is of somebody that you mm-hmm. might think it's it's a great kind of profile. You think you know him because you're gonna go watch a Jumanji movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. This is you know more interesting man, and Katie does a great way of through mirroring what he was uh, through their um, interaction. You kind of really learn a lot about him and his personality. So fun read there.
1: So my my favorite rock related thing I ever saw I think it was on Twitter once where he just posted up a picture of a car with a bow around it and he said uh, and a picture of his mum going oh. and he thought oh great you know an actor's bought his mum a car fantastic yeah. whatever and he read the caption and he was like yeah when I was 14 years old I remember having to come for my mother when she was streaming tears when our car got repossessed by people who'd lent her money and she had done this felt good and I was just like you know that's awesome <laughs> you're, you're a great man makes you feel good exactly Speaking of feel-good,
0: um, we have what bullets do to bodies. Oh, good. <laughs> yes,
1: I, no, this was amazing. Like, yeah, this doctor uh, is incredible.
0: But, Jason Fagoni, uh, writing for Huffpo, uh, Huffington Post, um, followed around Dr. Amy Goldberg, um, who uh, is the preeminent trauma surgeon. Uh, she's at Temple University uh, Hospital. A um, couple stats for you, just so you understand Philadelphia if you're not... You, know, you hear a lot about the murder rate in Chicago and stuff like that I grew up about 45 minutes outside of Philly so and I would go down to Philly all the time so y'all you know, well aware of you know how dangerous especially North Philly can be uh, but Philly had a homicide rate of 17.8 murders per 100,000 residents in 2015 Temple uh, so which is located in North Philly sees 2500 3,000 traumas per year around 450 of which were gunshot wounds that was just in 2016.
1: God, that's amazing. That's, uh, what was it, 4,000 per year?
0: So, What's that? So 3,000 you know, so 3, traumas. So trauma is like uh, stabbing, gunshot, blunt force trauma. That's
1: dozens per day, isn't it? That's terrible. Oh, yeah, and they're oh, just yeah.
0: being wheeled in left and right. Yeah, it's not just somebody falling down and bumping their head here. Um, and then 450 of which are gunshot wounds. One thing that they explain is actually you do live a lot of times after being yeah. shot. You think you're shot and you're well,
1: dead. I remember that from the story. They're saying, yeah, people can even get shot in the head. And they yeah, on exactly. and like, yeah,
0: Bizarre. Um, but it's just a fascinating look at what a trauma surgeon has to deal with, uh, when a gunshot victim comes rolling in. Um, you know, you think, Okay, well you gotta remove the bullet. Nope, that bullet's staying in there. Their job is not to do anything cosmetic there, just and they talk about okay, if you get shot in the chest, here are the things that they have to go through and here are the, the tools that they use to have to cut open a body and yeah. here are the arteries that if they're shot in the, the leg.
1: Tools. They're in the building tools, construction tools, aren't they? Yeah. It's, it's sort of, you know, just Huge things to tear apart the sternum and yeah. the rib cage and that kind of thing. It's uh, there was one actually one uh, little thing to relate to what you just said that really stuck with me from that about this girl who got caught in a crossfire or something and she had a bullet lodged in her leg or in her shoulder or something and the mm-hmm. nurse literally just cleaned it up and gave her some Tylenol and said there you go off you go yeah and yeah, this and girl is like traumatized they're, they're, and that kind of thing but they had to get her out because it's triage right so it's you know
0: and again you know talk about deeper social it's the they're trying to create reach out programs to you know it. it mm-hmm. You don't do anything about this, just going to keep on getting worse and worse. Well, and I mean, another
1: thing about they were talking about one kid in there, I think they eventually convinced uh, the man she partnered with to come on board. Where there was one guy who came in, he had a minor gunshot graze wound or something, he was clearly getting involved with gangs. Mm-hmm. Back in three months later with a shoulder wound. Yep. Back in three months later, uh, dead. Dead.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. Three yeah. times, and third yeah. time was not a charm for him. No, no, it was not. Um,
1: but yeah, the, I highly recommend that piece, actually. It's probably one of my favorites of the year, I think. Probably yeah. uh, my favorite of the year, though. Um, was the baby in the plastic bag by a journalist called Bern Jacob Oxnes for a Swedish um, or Norwegian, sorry, um, outlet called Dagbladet? <laughs> um, and this was incredible. This is a real multimedia um, presentation. I highly encourage you to to go and like actually watch and read it because it had like sort of footage of the places and everything like that. And event, essentially, it's a story about how a newborn infant was found in a plastic bag in a graveyard, still alive, by a guy who was putting flowers in a grave. Um, and then this. Huge rush to save the baby's life because obviously it's Norway in the middle of winter. The
0: things like saying that he would have lived that long, you know? incredible. Yeah. It's just
1: a thing. Um, and it's you know, they go through how the doctor um saved its life and everything else, and how the police eventually tracked down the mother who was a Filipino woman um who had overstayed a visa, I think, and uh, she thought the baby was dead because uh, sometimes when babies are born, they're not always breathing a lot of the time, that kind of thing. So the baby can...
0: was in uh. So she just gave birth to it. She like, gave birth at to
1: the her, hospital. No, no, in, uh, a, in her apartment, uh, her friend's apartment, and um, the baby wasn't breathing, and she thought it was just a stillbirth. That's one. even more insane. That. Um, so she put it down. The police come busting in a few hours later, saying that she's uh, she's left to, she murdered her child. She was like, my baby was alive and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So about this whole court case that went through Norway about how they determined whether she was guilty of, and eventually she found not guilty, like, uh, and she was allowed to go back to uh, the Philippines and took the kid with her. Twenty years later, these journalists find out about the story, and they no one ever figured out what happened to it. So they go and track down everyone who was involved in that who was still alive. Some people are obviously dead. Then they actually go to the Philippines and find this kid, um, and then he comes back to Norway, and uh, he had no idea what happened. Like his mother had always hinted that something had gone on, um, but it's all about him discovering what had happened and forgiving. Who's giving was given back to the mother? Who's giving to back to the mother? He took him back kid. to the Philippines because um, wow. I mean, she she had borne a ballast towards, it, or towards the kid uh, she thought he was dead and literally she didn't know what to do she was in shock she'd just given birth and so she took it to the grave I couldn't afford a burial so she thought there was a so obviously she'd been driven crazy by the whole thing in shock I'm break um, today. I it's, it's amazing um and yeah it's all about how the kid finds out what happened to him when he comes back to Norway he meets all the doctors who saved his life the priests who kind of christened him baptised him and that kind of thing as well it's absolutely incredible um Highly recommend it. it's like eight or nine parts, but yeah, it's worth the read. Okay, so,
0: yeah, I want to definitely check that out. Mm. Um, let's see here, we'll go through. I guess there's lots lot you are you done with your list there? Is that the last one? Thanks, so, yeah, I've got a couple okay. of recommendations
1: from last year that people should read, but we'll do it at the
0: end. Okay, yeah. um, we'll go with another fun one, then go with the not, not <laughs> so fun one, but um, the fallout from so, first of all, this one, I'm going to use some language here, yeah. Yeah, we always kind of curse on this, so but this one's <laughs> going to have some really filthy language. Um, you know, hope you're okay with it. Um, the fallout from sports writing's filthiest fuck-up. This is such a good story. This Jeff is- Perlman uh, writing for Deadspin. Um, it talks about a story uh, from the, uh, uh, the Gallatin News Examiner in Tennessee in the winter of 1997. Gallatin in Tennessee is a real Bible Belt. Town, small town, football, so if, football. You know, God's, build go to dumbness. church every yeah, day. Yeah. You know that's kind of that kind of a town. And it talks about this writer uh, who's like twenty years old, twenty three, twenty four, mm-hmm. something like that. It's it's he's an interesting character and just kind of a general fuck up. Um, Nick the Blondibus, the Blondebus. I'll yeah, we'll go mm-hmm. with that. Um, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna just read this one paragraph for you. <clears throat> And then it will exp- the whole story just built around the fallout from this one paragraph. But writes Nick Doblonibus in the 12th paragraph, quote, Dixon sucks donkey dicks and doesn't wipe them the shit off before practice. We like to keep him at a sweeper position so his sperm breath will stop people from penetrating to the goal. Speaking of penetrating, he prefers tall red-headed guys Told me to tell Chris he says hello. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. Oh my god.
0: A couple things here. I wrote for a. So I wrote for sports um, before well, I. You know, that was my first break at the Journal News, which is a big, um, fairly large newspaper. It's smaller today than it was when I was there. Um, and I had to cover high school sports and stuff like that. And literally you'd go cover a game out somewhere in Rockland County and you wouldn't even be able to make it back to your office. you just call in and you start, you know, reading it to them sometimes. You know, this, back then we didn't have, you know, we didn't bring laptops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how uh, I understood the pressures of getting something to deadline. Now this kid has on, in the past, put in, you know, filthy stuff that, you know that would get caught or something like that, just to try and get a laugh out of the editor. Right. The editor, in this case, was a 21-year-old named Chris Freeman, <laughs> a very religious man. You know, a kid that you know would go to school, or you know, goes to school, but also to um, to church and everything like that. And apparently, he just did not read this story. He's just like, "Is it clean?" And uh, the blonde just goes, "Yeah, it's clean."
1: And if you've ever worked in a newspaper environment, um and if you're on the school, you understand that sometimes. You've just got this volume of copy coming in. It's 10 o'clock. The printer's going, where the hell is the PDF, that kind of yeah. thing. And you're like, okay, check the head, check the lead. It's all right. Done. We'll go Good. through. We'll yeah, deal yeah, with any an error, typos. Whatever. We'll issue a correction tomorrow. Yeah, especially so, yeah. a
0: small company. Again, when you have a 21-year-old editor is your main Yeah, editor, well, exactly. Right. You <laughs> can tell us this is not the most professional <laughs> organization uh, ever. So it's just a funny story. Kind of sad in some ways, but I never felt bad for you because screw you, you still allowed that to go through, and then a yeah. Nick the Bomb is just an asshole. So um good great story though. Highly recommend. Again, we'll link to all this. Um and then what well, I thought was I think this one was my favorite uh story, but um A Most American Terrorist, The Making of Dylan Roof. That's great. And it was uh written by uh Rachel Kadizi Ganza uh for GQ. Uh Rachel is become along with Chris Jones, who was at Esquire, and now he does uh, various work for New Time. But I think that she's kind of become my favorite writer. Um, anything she puts out, she put one about Dave Chappelle that was just insanely good. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I just really enjoy reading her. Um, and so she was on the longform.org uh, podcast, and she talked about what kind of brought her to her story. So first of all, she went. So this is based on the Charleston, um, South Carolina, shooting uh, where Dylan Roof went in. Um, to a black church, uh, they were a Bible study kind of group, um, yeah. and killed everybody. Just so,
1: opened up. Yeah, just opened
0: up and sat in on the class for about an hour or something like that, if I, I'm not getting my facts totally yeah. correct here, but sat in on the class, was listening to him, was welcomed in with open arms, and then goes shooting. And what pissed Rachel off the most about it, the coverage was, you know, within 48 hours, everybody wanted to talk about you know, this story of forgiveness, how the people at the church, the people of the church, had forgiven him because that's what it means to be a good Christian and everything mm-hmm. like that. And the way she felt was, yeah, maybe there might have been some people that forgave her, but most in the community did not just do not forgive him. Yeah. Um, and that she felt that the story was again told right. Uh, she said, quote, uh, people get black people wrong. You know, they don't understand what happens to black pain people dismiss black people's pain. So the story of forgiveness is easy. Explaining how this kid was made, how the community created this kid, um, the people around him allowed this to ha- help help to create this. Um, so uh, she went and spent months in South Carolina um, speaking with Dylan Roof's mother, father, friends, former teachers, victims, family members. All an effort unlock uh, what went into creating uh, one of the coldest killers of our time, and
1: unrepentant as well, considering his performance on the stand. And so,
0: that was the thing? Is she listened in? So she went down and she listened in um, to him talk, and she's like, "Screw you! You don't know me. I'm gonna tell." Because that's the thing is, nobody wanted to tell the story of him. They want to tell story, you know, these sad stories about. And fair enough, that you know, you want to tell these people that are dead, mm. tell their lives, what they meant, and you do understand that kind of storyline. She's like, no, I'm going to put a spotlight on you, and I'm going to put a spotlight on your family. I'm going to let you know that you go and do this. You go shoot up. I'm going to let everybody know about your friends, your family, yeah. everybody. You're not getting away with this without everybody that you know knowing that they helped raise you. Well, coming back to what we were saying at the very beginning, of this this
1: whole network effect, you know, and kind of all the people who enable this exactly. thing to happen around you and don't do anything about it. So, you know.
0: It really blew, you know, so it's really good. And the other cool thing was just that she uh, started with supporting, so she didn't have an assignment. She just went down, she she was on her own dime, goes down there, starts reporting, had the story already, you know, three quarters baked and ready, then pitched it to GQ. Yeah. Um, because, and she said that she didn't want them to tell her how she should go about the story, you know, or kind of get them, And she's like, no, here's the story. You know, do you want it? And uh, it's it was just a really good, powerful story. And, uh, you know, for me, that one I thought was probably my favorite of uh, the year.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, it's just been like this whole year has been great for all that stuff,
0: I mean, and also it's not as serious. As oh, no, I'll so it. many stories here Absolutely. that I want to get to, but yeah, um,
1: yeah. and maybe tweet out a link to that document or something afterwards. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like in terms of long form, we really are in a golden age right now where you can find stuff about politics, um, you can find stuff about uh international relations. Like, even just today before the podcast, I sent you over a piece in the Daily Beast about. Russia's yeah. um, spy manual, which is worth a read. It's fantastic. And there's also stuff by Gaith Abdullah Had, who is the uh, Middle Eastern correspondent for The Guardian. He's on the ground in, in Aleppo and in everywhere else, actually reporting, doing long form stuff there. But there's also stuff that, you know, if you don't want anything so serious, you can find that as well. But then yeah. the key point of this is that, um, as we said at the very beginning, you know, it's we're in a golden age, but it's not sustainable if you want to invest in journalism. So if you want to do something for the new year, you want a New Year's resolution, Take out a subscription to a newspaper or yeah. like a magazine or um, and obviously Waters, which you already have, um, you know, just in addition to that to do something else because, you know, it costs a lot of money to produce this kind of journalism and doesn't always yield stuff in return. So, you know, do a little bit of investment if you enjoy it. any of these articles. Yeah, well. I mean... Yeah. And-
0: you open up your mind. you know, just read some stuff that you might not think that you're going to like. And then, but, yeah, this
1: know. is it. I mean, that's the nice thing. Like, it really genuinely does expose you to different sides of the world or different sides to an equation you hadn't thought for. Yeah. One thing we didn't mention uh, was the Wired cover story they had a while back on the um, brownouts in the Ukraine. Oh, God. Which yeah. was amazing. That was a as sensational well. piece. But this is what I'm saying. Like, we're trying to come up with the top 10 long form articles, and I was just like chopping stuff out left, right, and center. I mean, but basically, anything so in
0: Wired. I yeah. could almost, you yeah, know, any yeah. long form yeah. piece in Wired, I'm going to. Yeah, you know, that that should make a list. You know, it's just I mean, and I
1: got a twelve month hard copy subscription for ten bucks from those guys plus a charger. So you yeah. know, it doesn't cost that much. So <laughs> yeah, honestly, get behind this, support it. It's you know, we're really move past
0: opinion pieces too. Move past yeah. just you know, it's like get just God, cable news is the worst at this. You know, because you don't get long form journals among no, cable news. Don't. It's just no. quick hit, quick hitters. Move past the opinion piece. Stop having people tell you what you should think. Rather, you know, find if you want to have a little bit of that, but really open your mind up to just well-written, deep dive stories, and not think pieces. These 10,000-word tomes where they don't interview a damn person, yeah, yeah. or these interview people specific to the point that they're trying to make. No, just
1: read some I'm real long... Talk about stuff that's on the Pulitzer list, and that kind of thing. You're worried about fake news? It's very, very, very fucking hard to make up quotes for a 10,000-word piece you know, yeah. at the end of the day if you're going to take this approach, and guaranteed you'll get some bum... Uh, You'll some bum notes out there, but on the whole, the quality of long form is pretty damn good these days. So it has to compete with, you know, and this is one level where the New York Times on an equal playing field with Wired or with GQ yeah. or with, you know, that kind of thing. I yeah. mean, for it's me, like,
0: it's like, just go to longform.org because they, they just put up three stories a day. Yeah. So they don't put up everything, and then they have old stories. Sometimes there will be stories from the 1960s, 20s, 30s, 40s, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Depending on what the flavor of the day is. Um, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so, and then they'll put up their stories over a day, and, you know, so just read through those. It, it, it'll just open your mind it you'll learn some new things. Why well, well, exactly. stop learning? And as you say, you know, it gives you the
1: discipline to just take some time with your news and page day, not just the quick hits. So you're yes. not just getting one perspective. You're actually getting multiple perspectives inside one story, which you just take – everyone can take 20 minutes of their day to
0: read a story. You know, Kinda, so, yeah. You know, the, the, just we talk about figures but there was one story that I was going to get to, but now I feel like, – But uh, Caitlin uh, Dickerson for New York Times, how fake news turned a small town upside down. Um, So the town is Twin Falls, Idaho, and basically it follows this newspaper. First report on a story about a 7-year-old boy and a 10-year-old boy and how there was a sexual act that involved a 5-year-old girl. Um, Disturbing story. Um, What happened was, though, uh, Facebook then... Through uh, a counseling to Russian government, helped to spread stories about Twin Falls and even organized one of the rallies there. So there was an, a rally that happened in Twin Falls that was organized by Russian government hacker or you know fake news, you know whatever you want. Okay, to just, uh, um, granted, the, the event wasn't um, attended well, but it's still Russia attacking our country mm-hmm. and people just not realizing this. And it's you know it's like. Move beyond just fake news, fake news. Un- yeah. Understand a little bit about what the hell you're talking about. Divorce talk it from Trump,
1: Divorce it from yeah. Democrats. Divorce it from whatever else. Just look at the actual issues and what's happening. And yeah. that's sort of, you know,
0: I, yeah.
1: There we go. Essence of this is it's a pretty good time for journalism, I think, so, is, and for long form stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's bad time for newspapers. There a lot of really talented writers that get laid off. You yeah, I've, I've been at organizations where, you know, some yeah. really great writers got laid off. Um, I don't know. And even when I was at the journal, you know, every day we had an
1: email through saying, yeah, we're closing this bureau, closing that bureau, closing this bureau. Yeah. That's 20 staff in Prague, gone, that's 10 staff in Eastern, yeah. you know, Czechoslovakia or whatever. Sort of you know, you f- do have
0: to be more discerning. you got to look around a little bit. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there isn't just great right. stuff. Yeah. It doesn't mean that just because coming from something like Atavist or, you know, Arzateka or something yeah. like that, that... You know, stuff that maybe you haven't heard of yourself, but, yeah. oh, wow, this was really good. Hell, there was a great uh, profile written in Elle magazine, and stuff like that, stuff that, you know, you wouldn't yeah. think. Um, so, yeah, um, good stuff out there. And hopefully you enjoy our stuff. Yes. <laughs> we should actually have some pretty good
1: long form for you next year. But, again, great journalism, across, great investment, so you take that subscription to us. Absolutely. <laughs> Help us That's, That's pretty much how we operate. We're fueled by Lagunitas. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
0: All right, well, um, again, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. All that stuff's passed. Yeah, um, have up a great next year. is uh, New Year, and we will be back with some finally some news stories and some real stuff uh, to put up uh, online on what is technology in 2018. I think we might even hear a little bit about something called Mifid 2. Maybe, maybe. We shall see. All right, thank you. Have a good week. Thanks, guys.